Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I will be your host for the next hour here on WFMU, Freeform Station of the Nation, coming at you live from downtown Jersey City in the great, great state of New Jersey. I'm happy to be here, and I'm so happy that you have chosen to spend some time with me and with others. If you're on the comment board, it's going to be a great show. Let's get started. The title of this show this evening is Subways and Surveillance with Christopher Robbins from Hellgate. Now, you might remember a few weeks ago, I interviewed a journalist who had written a story about the Link 5G eyesores. Her name is Molly Osberg, and she wrote a great piece for a, a new uh, news site called Hellgate, which is linked on the uh, playlist at WFMU.org, hellgatenyc.com. One of the founders of Hellgate is going to be with us this evening. I have an interview that I'm going to play with Christopher Robbins talking about uh, something else related to surveillance and public infrastructure in New York City. Now I want to say uh, at the outset, if you don't live in the New York City area, this show is still for you. Because as I said in the intro, I believe, to Molly Osberg's uh, interview about Link 5G, what happens in big cities like New York is often a leading indicator towards what's happening, what's going to happen elsewhere in the world. And in some cases, uh, other cities are even more, uh, more developed in these surveillance systems than New York is. So wherever you live, you could be somewhere on this progression of the build-out of the surveillance state. And here in New York City, we see a somewhat unique development recently as the, the subways and buses of New York um, are getting what the city considers an upgrade in their uh, payment system. So what, you, what has been happening uh, for the last number of years is that if you want to ride a subway or bus in New York City, you have to get a swipe card, a special swipe card. Most of them are, are yellow in color. They're called Metro cards. And New Yorkers uh, and anyone who, who comes to New York uh, with any regularity is very familiar with these. You go to these uh, little kiosks that are actually large kiosks. They're in the subway stations. And you buy, you put in your credit card or cash. This is important. You can pay cash if you don't want to be tracked. And you can f fill up a, a Metro card with whatever amount, five bucks, 10 bucks, 20, 40 bucks. And then out comes the card, which you can then swipe until it runs out of money. And then you can refill that particular card. And uh, that's how it's been for a long, long time. The Metro card is the successor to the old subway tokens that, uh, that the subway system used to use a long time ago. And the Metro cards have been uh, fine. They've, they've been convenient. The kiosks actually are, are very well designed. And uh, it came to light recently, within the last year or so, that the Metro card machines are finally going to be phased out permanently in favor of something called Omni. Uh, which is O-M-N-Y. I think, I think they claim that it's, um, it stands for One Metro New York. But anyway, this Omni system does not use swipes at all. It's a wireless uh, tap to pay. I don't know if you have to physically tap it onto the reader, but you just sort of wave something over the, over the scanner or reader, and, uh, and it lets you through. And in fact, some people are beginning to use this Omni system already, so they have already moved off of Metro cards. The problem with this, well, there's a, there's a few problems with this Omni system that are, uh, that are outlined in this article that Christopher Robbins wrote for Hellgate. It's called A Basic Privacy Guide to Omni, the MTA's Metro card replacement. And again, if you don't live in New York City and you don't live in a, maybe you don't live in a city with a, with a subway or maybe your city doesn't have a robust uh, public transportation infrastructure, even so, the lessons coming off of Omni are relevant to everybody because it's, it's a good example of how 
democratically elected governments are beginning to partner with surveillance system corporations in order to lay down a surveillance infrastructure to track and monitor every citizen and every visitor using any kind of public infrastructure, including the sidewalks. I mean, the, the Google um, Link NYC surveillance towers are already monitoring New York citizens and visitors as they walk along the sidewalks. This uh, Omni system is targeted at people using subways and buses. If we have time, and I think we will after this uh, interview I'm about to run, I'm going to say something about New York State Governor Kathy Hochul's recent announcement that, uh, of, of another surveillance system, an additional surveillance system, being installed in the subway train cars, a, a network of surveillance cameras. And I have something very interesting to play for you to uh, describe how that's going or how, how she intends for that to go. But let's first start with an interview with Christopher Robbins from Hellgate to learn a little bit more the pros and the cons, and then some more cons, of the new Omni system that's about to overtake and replace the MetroCard system here in New York City for entry to the subways and buses. If you'd like to join in the live listener chat, go to wfmu.org, click playlist and comments, or in the future, go to tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H tonic.fm, and click the playlist for the September 26th 2022 show. Here's the interview with Christopher Robbins here on Tectonic on WFMU. Christopher Robbins, welcome to Tectonic. Mark, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Very nice to have you on the show. You're an editor at Hellgate, which I have featured once before recently with Molly Osberg in our episode about those eyesore Link 5G towers that are going up all over the city. And for Hellgate, you have written a piece this month on September 9 called A Basic Privacy Guide to Omni, the MTA's MetroCard Replacement. You did a great job with that piece. It's a really helpful privacy roundup of some of the questions people may have about these new Omni machines. First, let's talk about Omni as it relates to MetroCard. Anyone from New York or who's visited New York is familiar with the swipe cards called MetroCards that have been in place for, gosh, uh, not quite 20 years, right? Since 1992. So it's been 30 years. That's right. So the Cubic, the same company that is rolling out Omni, they were responsible for the MetroCard in in 1992 um and so w- while the tokens i don't believe went away that is when the metric system was born is is 92 that that makes sense i guess i'm i'm remembering when the tokens were finally phased out yes cuz i always liked the tokens they <laughs> There was some nostalgia value there, but I I have enjoyed the uh, MetroCard machine over the years. The touch interface is one of the better transaction interfaces that I've come across on touch screens. And it was always possible to feed the machine with cash if you wanted to stay anonymous. You could put in a $20 bill and get your MetroCard and you, you would not be tracked. Maybe your card would be tracked, but it wouldn't be connected back to you. Now the MetroCard is being phased out for this thing called Omni, O-M-N-Y. From the presentations that I've seen of it, they're really trying to get you to wave your smartphone in front of a a wireless reader, right? That's the main use case of this new system. Essentially, they want to replace the cards just with people to use their smartphone. Yes, and, you know, to be clear, as we just discussed, like the MetroCard system is 30 years old. Um, it, we, New York is well behind other cities in terms of having a tap to pay system. You know, D.C. has had one for years, Boston, London, New York lags behind those cities in terms of having a more updated fair payment system. That said, the MetroCard is sort of elegant and privacy wise, like a very anonymized sort of system. You put your cash into the big colorful machine, you take the MetroCard out, you swipe in. I, I will say though that like 
the MetroCard machines themselves could be very temperamental. I, you know, moving to New York 11 years ago, the ones at my local subway stop never seemed to work. <laughs> so it was like me pressing my hand on all the screens to see which which one was actually functioning that day. But now the MTA is very much encouraging people to use their smartphone and to just tap and go. In fact, there's even like a discount. If you pay 12 fares in a week, then every other ride after that 12th ride is free. And that is very much the messaging that you'll see in subway stations on buses is to just use your phone. Don't mess with the MetroCard machines or the station agents. Okay, so there is a case to be made for this Omni system. You're saying other cities have had tap to pay for a long time. It routes around potentially erroneous MetroCard machines if if they're having a bad day. And it's just, it's convenient because if you are comfortable using your smartphone for things, you just, and it's probably in your hand already anyway, you tap and then you enter the subway. So there's the pitch. But now we have this piece in Hellgate that you wrote about, a, a, as you say, a basic privacy guide. And then the subtitle of the article is, Welcome to the Panomnicon. <laughs> and of course, you're, you're referring to the panopticon of the surveillance state that we're all living in. And New York seems to be enthusiastically growing all around us, much to the point of that previous episode that I mentioned about the Link 5G towers. Thanks to Hellgate for covering that. So in your Hellgate piece about the privacy guide to Omni, uh, I liked how you organize it almost as an FAQ with common questions people might have around privacy and then your answers based on the research. For example, question, what kind of data is the MTA collecting on me if I use Omni? And you give, you give some answers. Talk to me about the data that the MTA is collecting on people who tap their phone on the machine. Um, I will. I'm going to be annoying and add there's one more benefit to using a tap to pay system, which is speed. You know, on one bus route, for instance, that extra set of milliseconds of time saved instead of swiping a MetroCard using a tap to pay system adds up to something like 18 hours over the course of the day. So it does save people time not having to swipe into the system. That said, you're correct. There is a ton of information that the MTA is collecting if you are using your Omni system with your smartphone. If you want to actually, as the MTA puts it, you know, enjoy the full suite of benefits that Omni can provide, which is like the customer service factor of like, hey, I might have misswiped or I need to change payment systems or whatever. Or if you even want to see your own movement in the subway system over a period of time, you're going to have to give the MTA lots of information beyond just the name, birth date, you know, address, gender. Obviously, your credit card information is there and all the attendant information that goes along with that. The MTA is obviously keeping track of where you're tapping into the system. And they were able to do this previously with the MetroCard system. But as you pointed out earlier, it was never a one-to-one -one thing where anyone could just buy a MetroCard with cash. Now, if you're using your smartphone, they know it's your smartphone tapping into X station at X time, tapping into, you know, transferring to this bus at this time. And I think that is what gives a lot of people pause is that your smartphone is already a very sophisticated tracking device. And now you're applying it to, you know, North America's largest municipal transportation system. There's potential for abuse there if that information is in the wrong hands. Yeah. And there's, there's potential for abuse and then some second order effects that, that may come up, which we'll get to. I just want to point out something that stuck out to me in the answer to that question. What kinds of data is the MTA collecting? You mentioned that in order to, to create an account, because now you can't just go up to a machine, pay and get a card. Now you have to go to some site, create a, an account with all this information so they know everything about you because you're now an account holder. And that account setup process includes giving them a photograph of yourself. Is that right? You can choose to give the MTA all this information. And in, again, in order to enjoy the full breadth of, of Omni, well, well, in order to 
fully benefit, and I'm, I'm using air quotes that the listener can't see from the Omni system, the more information you give the MTA, the more benefits you'll get from the system. That said, you are able to buy an Omni card from a participating retailer for $5, and you're allowed to refill it with cash. You're sort of replicating the old MetroCard system in this way, so you don't have to sign up, but you do have to pay the $5 to buy an OmniCard, which is considerably more expensive than a MetroCard, which people lose frequently, which sometimes don't work, and you have to replace them. It's essentially a form of a privacy tax. It's also annoying. It's way easier to just pull up your phone or your laptop and sign in and give the MTA information, you know, put yourself in the Omni system that way. So you are nudged into giving more information. I I don't understand why does the MTA need your photograph in order to let you onto the subway? That's a great question. (laughs) I think it's, I, 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 they would say that they don't need it and that, that, that feature is probably completely optional. But again, I mean, I think where I'm troubled is that people who currently benefit from reduced fare Metro cards, they already have to provide lots of information to the MTA to get these Metro card benefits. Now that information is going to be digitized and on their smartphones in a way that wasn't previously. Beforehand, you know, the MTA sends you your Metro card and that's it. Those people are not going to have a choice, right? I mean, they don't really have a choice with the MetroCard, but now they are fully baked into the Omni system in a way that is rather unavoidable if they want to get these transit benefits that they are entitled to. Those people will have the option of having an OmniCard, but again, that OmniCard, they don't have to use their smartphone, but again, that OmniCard is still, it's providing the MTA the same sort of information, but at a much quicker speed and much more seamless way. It's easier for law enforcement to track on and on and on. So I I think that is, there are going to be people who can choose to not participate in this data economy. But at some degree, if you get a discount MetroCard, you know, if you're elderly or, you know, you're entitled to that transit benefit, you're going to use Omni and that Omni card is going to follow you around and the MTA and law enforcement and Whoever else is going to know where you're swiping in, where you're transferring, et cetera. I do think it's significant that the MTA told me directly they are not selling anonymized data that they collect. Although they are collecting anonymized data, they aren't selling it. That that is their current policy. Can that policy change? Surely. Will it? I don't know. I think it would be a scandal if it did change, especially in the short-term future. But they did, that is a question that I posed directly to them that's in my story. And they stridently um, said that that is not happening, that will not happen. And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I'm your host, We're halfway through my interview with Christopher Robbins, one of the founders of Hellgate, talking about the new Omni system, which is going to replace the MetroCard system in the MTA, the New York City subways and buses. If you'd like to join in the live listener chat, go to wfmu.org, click playlist and comments, or click the playlist that you find in the future on tectonic.fm. You can see what people were talking about. Really good comments this evening. If I have time, I'll I'll read out a couple of them after the interview. Let's go ahead and listen to the second half of my interview with Christopher Robbins here on Tectonic on WFMU. Let's talk about exactly what information. This is not for the, the discounted access. This is just the standard Omni account. You write that setting up an Omni account requires you to provide your name, your age, home address, email, phone number, photograph. And included in the data is the payment information that your credit card company already has. The credit card number, the last four digits of your social, your billing address, etc. So what you're saying is for individuals who qualify for discounted access to the subways and and buses, 
they have to give even more information. And you bring up in the piece that there's the possibility of this data at some point being shared with agencies like ICE that could assist them in their searches for undocumented people. And so whether you're getting the discounted access or just your regular Omni account, you do have to submit to, as you're calling it, the Panomnicon, unless you go the inconvenient route, find a retailer that's selling those cards and pay cash and load it up with cash and hope you don't lose the card. It just makes me nervous to see that the city and its official policy for public transportation, which is, you know, one of the crown jewels of New York City, is our amazing public transportation system. I mean, as as flawed as it is, it's an integral part of being a New Yorker, and we're being asked to submit all of this information, both in signing up and in being tracked constantly, in order to use the subways and buses. Yes. Um, there is very real sort of privacy fatigue here too. The, the MTA and law enforcement currently use MetroCards to track people on the subway system. And while it used to take them some time, some significant amount of time, now it can be close to instantaneous. Omni will obviously make everything, all data sort of tracking happen faster. That's, that's part of the appeal. And, and, you know, I would also say that some transit systems many transit systems would say that it's useful for them to improve the systems, to know where people are coming in, how people use the system so that they can make the system itself better. But yes, we are now touching upon a very real problem of, look, like if this is the quickest way to run a transit system in 2022, shouldn't there be some stricter laws with how these systems are set up? Should there not be one central law that governs, you know, privacy data like Europe has versus like this weird sort of cobbled together system of laws and guidelines that we have here in the United States. Should a private company, Qubit, be the architect for this program? Should the state insist on doing it themselves to provide that extra layer of accountability? I would ask, you know, I asked the sources for the story, all these questions, and no one has a great answer for you know what the right system is. I will say though that it helps to have a crystal clear privacy policy and telling riders exactly what is happening. And honestly, like my inspiration for this story was to do that because if you currently go to Omni's privacy policy, it's still very much written in a kind of legalese. It's not easily understandable. I just wanted to know basic questions like, is my data being sold? If so, to whom? <laughs> you know, are, Do the credit cards know where I'm tapping in in the system? Stuff that you would have to read the privacy policy like 10 times a layperson and you still might not know. So I think honestly, like that could be one first step is just making clear about what is currently happening so that people are informed and so that people can then go to their elected representatives, go to their public officials and say, we didn't realize it was like this. We don't like it. Let's change it. Yeah, and I I agree with that. And I think that it's unlikely that 7 million New Yorkers are going to spend an hour reading a privacy policy in order <laughs> right. to begin a discussion. Also, we shouldn't have to read a privacy policy in order to voice concerns about a panopticon that's being built as a requirement for us to enter the New York City subway. To me, it's there are a lot of risks here, and I'm I'm just building. I agree with what you said about the importance of having a, a good audit of that privacy policy. But in addition to that, even if the privacy policy is cleared up and they say, "Don't worry, we're not going to sell your information," well, hold on a second. All these companies say we don't sell your information because they don't technically sell your information. What they do is they process that data in some sort of a fusion center. And the output of those processing algorithms creates a second level of data that is then sold off. So they're not selling the raw material of your location, your last four. They're selling basically the access to the dossier that they've created on you. And these companies, Google foremost among them as the pioneer of this surveillance capitalist business model, will never 
talk about that activity because that's that's where the gold is spun. So clear privacy policy is a good step, but they could still be selling the information. Even if they're not selling your data, they could get hacked. And you mentioned in the piece, I'm glad you, you linked to a past incident of hacking at Cubic, or if it was all internalized to the MTA, the, I mean, the MTA could still get hacked. Or the credit card companies could get could get hacked, you know, like your your credit card company could have that breach. And then who knows and then that what? someone could have, right. And, and then they could track people's movements across the, the MTA. So then the, to me, the, the question becomes, why do we need to build a panopticon in the first place? I mean, I understand, for example, I understand the interest in getting aggregated data of system usage so that they can put more trains at this time of, of the morning to, to alleviate the load. Let me ask a question. How did the subway system get data before we had surveillance devices in our pockets? Was there any way they could get any data on system usage before 2022? I'm just saying that the reasons that the surveillance state vendors and agencies always give is, well, it's going to allow us to improve the system because we're going to get access to all this aggregated data. And I always think, if you want aggregated data, why do you have people submitting photographs before they can enter the subway? That's identifiable individual data. The entire enterprise completely skips over the possibility of anonymized aggregated data. Everything is tuned to individual surveillance that can be packaged up and sold off or, as you pointed out, shared with various law enforcement or, or other government agencies or hacked by who knows whom. The whole thing is set up as an intrusive surveillance state. The architecture was never meant for aggregated data to improve the system. That may come as a, as a tertiary effect somewhere along the way, but primarily this is set up as a surveillance system on individual uh, New York citizens, and it's going to fall the hardest, as you said, on the most vulnerable populations in the city. Sorry, I'm ranting here. But no, these, okay. <laughs> these are my concerns. And, and finally, it normalizes the act of always holding a smartphone as you walk through your life in New York City. I don't know why we have to make it so hard for people who want to opt out of this surveillance system to still live in this city. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I, I am not a tech reporter, but as a journalist and as someone who recently started a business, which is Hellgate, the publication that, that we started this summer, it's the cliche, right, of if something is free, then what you're selling is yourself, which is the data about yourself, even if it's anonymized. And I think that attitude somewhere down the line has just been baked into us to where we're willing to just relinquish so much to get whatever it may be and to have that sort of frictionless experience, whether it's like watching a video or whether it's you know participating in a social network. To me, that's the root of it, right? It's like why we didn't stop at that sort of inflection point and reflect and say, okay, hold on. Might we actually rather pay for something instead of selling data? Or shouldn't there be an architecture of regulations that are transparent and actually enforced before we go down this road? It's, it's really hard for me to think about how especially in New York City with all the many problems that we are dealing with here, how to wrap our arms around this, because it's, it really is like something very deep-seated in the, the past 20 years of our existence on the internet, which the internet is now everywhere. Um, the internet, as my colleague Molly pointed out earlier, is now 35-foot towers on every other, you know, 5G towers in every other corner. So it's bewildering. And to me, there isn't an easy answer, but like, my armchair diagnosis is like, we have to figure out how to have that conversation of, look, this isn't free. You know, this is, there are trade-offs here and they're real and here's what they are. And how do we, as, you know, a society, as a city deal with them in a way that where we don't have to participate in this information economy all the time as we walk around our, our city. And I think you're doing your part in getting the word out, publishing pieces like this, this privacy guide to Omni. What is Hellgate's position on 
surveillance capitalist media organizations. <laughs> <laughs> I know you you have free stories and you're also inviting people to subscribe for money. Is the information economy also part of your revenue model? No. We are a subscription-based publication. Our subscriptions start at $6.99 a month, or you get a discount if you buy an annual subscription. We don't have Google ads. We don't have chum boxes with like, you know, fungus doctors hate this one trick. You know, all the crap that you're assaulted with constantly all over the internet. That's by design because we don't want our readers to have to sift through that to read our stories. We have two, you can read two free stories and then the paywall hits you. So it's a pretty severe paywall. But no, I mean, we don't want to sell our readers information. We are, that's not something we're about. It's not worth the trivial to us amount of money that it would provide. And this very well might fail, but we are, we really do want to try and build a relationship with a core group of readers who like reading what we, what we make for them. And that is our focus, not on crazy traffic numbers to look at, you know, how much money we're making from Google ads. Like that's not what we're about. Frankly, I think that business model is dying on its way out. And if, if you know, go to the many, I, 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 should, I almost named some, but like go to lots of other New York City news websites and you will see what I'm talking about. You'll get an autoplay ad for like a Honda Civic or something. And then five other autoplay ads, you know, in the markets, you just don't, you don't want to live that way. We don't want to make that. That's not our, our the thing we want to make for our readers and subscribers. So yeah, that's our... Our position on the information economy is baked into our business model, which is that we don't like it. In the world of online media, most of the other news publications are following the path of Omni, more surveillance, more data, more fusion centers, and so on. And then we have Hellgate, which in my mind is like the good old subway token. You pay your money, you get your token, <laughs> and you get on the train. And... Listeners can go to Hellgate at hellgatenyc.com and read this story and others. And I'll also put links to you in this Omni piece on the playlist. Christopher Robbins, thanks so much for uh, talking to me on Tectonic today. Mark, it was my pleasure. Thank you. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I will be your host for the remaining... Oh, look at that. We have 24 minutes left before Dust on the Decks with Derek at the top of the hour. We just heard my interview with Christopher Robbins, founder, co-founder of Hellgate at hellgatenyc.com. He wrote a piece that I liked a lot called A Basic privacy guide to Omni, the MTA's MetroCard replacement. That was dated earlier this month on September 9. The subtitle of the piece, as I mentioned in the interview, was Welcome to the Pan-Omnicon. Someone said, Bentham is going to love this. And there you have it. It's the Pan-Omnicon coming to New York City subways and buses as the MetroCards are phased out and any possibility of paying cash, at least inside a station, to remain somewhat anonymous is being phased out in favor of these surveillance system tap-to-pay scanners that can scan a phone. Uh, or, and I f- forget if we mentioned this during the interview, but it is true that you can also, you don't have to scan a smartphone. You can also scan a credit card with a scannable chip uh, that a lot of credit card companies are now issuing. And third, the third possibility is that you get a, a, some sort of an Omni card. I haven't seen one of these yet, and I have not attempted to buy one, but apparently there are some participating stores, like certain chain drug stores, where you can go in and maybe stand in line and ask where you can buy one of the Omni cards. And if they have them in stock, possibly you can hand over some cash, and maybe it would work to give you a card, which starts with a $5 fee just for the card itself, and then you load it up with some cash. And uh, then I suppose if it actually works, you might be able to reload the card if you go back and stand in line at one of those participating chain drugstores. I mean, the whole thing 
is meant to make it as inconvenient as possible. It's a little bit like when you go to the airport, and I've done this a few times, you don't want to um, go through the zapper that, uh, that, that, that takes an intimate look at, at you, let's say, and you say, I would, I would prefer a pat-down. And the reaction from the, uh, from the TSA security officials, it, it varies. Sometimes they're cool about it, and other times they kind of sigh. Oh, we got one of those again. Okay, we need a pat-down over here on lane three. You know, and, and you can be standing there and waiting and waiting, and everyone's watching you. Look at the weirdo who doesn't go through the zapper like all of us. Um, it's it, these architectures of convenience are joined by architectures of inconvenience for those who want to uh, adhere to tenets of a more civil society where people have more autonomy, more privacy, and are opting out of the intrusive eye of the government and corporate forces that have, have built these, these systems. Um, and that's where we're headed with Omni. And as the Metro cards get phased out, uh, you'll find me in a long line at some chain drugstore somewhere. So I will report back how it goes. Um, so yes, you can, and I, I'm not, I do not plan to scan a credit card. In fact, I have a wallet that is marked as being RFID safe. I don't know if it's actually true, but that's what they claim that there's some sort of metal mesh um, someone here at the station said, it's like a tinfoil hat for your credit cards. <laughs> Perfect wallet for me, right? Um, but I'd, if I have a scannable credit card, and I, I'm not sure if I do or not, but I'd, I'd really rather not walk around and have it scanned without my knowledge, because that's the idea of these scanners, is that if you, you don't even have to tap it. If you are within the, the proper proximity of one of these wireless readers, they can scan your credit card and deduct money from it or take your identity or, or who knows what. So I am, my current plan, friends, is to continue living in New York City and continue using the buses and subways, which I like a lot, uh, and trying to stay somewhat anonymous and opting out of this ridiculous uh, regime of carrying around a smartphone everywhere. Because after all, that's another effect, another long-term effect, no matter what you think about the privacy, okay? Some people say, they're tracking you already. What's the difference? How many times have we heard that, friends? It doesn't matter that, that Google's reading your email. Everybody's tracking everything anyway. It doesn't matter that fill in the blank of a big tech company or a surveillance a government agency it doesn't matter that they're watching you all the time because everyone has your information already. That is the nihilistic response where we just throw up our hands in despair and say, well, they've got everything. I am just going to roll over and, and not say anything. And I, I refuse to do that. I refuse to do that. That is not a long-term strategy because if there's no resistance from the citizens, then they're going to keep taking and keep taking. And we see, we see that in this Omni and the application, as, as, as Chris Robbins uh, reported in his story, they're asking for a photograph. Can you please, can someone please explain to me why I need to upload a photograph of my face in order to have the privilege of using the public transportation that my tax money already pays for? Can someone please answer that question? The answer, I can answer, for, answer it for you right now. The reason is because no one has stood up yet and said, we're not doing it. We need to resist these just in principle because if we don't resist, it gets worse and worse and worse. And they take more and they take more and they take more. The response that they have everything anyway, that is a complete cop-out. That is a totally irresponsible response to this. The only responsible response, the only possible response to this, to this intrusive, uh, unjust, predatory, privacy-busting surveillance system is to say, no, we're not doing that. Uh, but as I told Chris, I mean, to ask 7 million people to, to, to rise up and say no to this system, people have other things on their minds, I understand. But as, as, as far as I'm concerned on this show... And, and my current plan in my personal life is to say no and, and to try to mount a tiny, tiny, minuscule, nanoscale bit of resistance. And maybe a few of you will join in as well.
It just we're normalizing the idea that you have to have a smartphone to walk around New York City. That's completely, totally wrong. That's a really bad idea for, for a long-term life of any kind of democratic civil society is to say, as a citizen of this city, this state, this country, you are more or less required to walk around with a surveillance device made by a $2 trillion company that has deep ties with all sorts of other foreign governments and third-party agencies that you really don't want to know about. That's why they never talk about it. And they are in deep partnership with a, a city, a state uh, that is always looking for more efficiencies and are happy to let whatever surveillance system is pitched to them come right through the door and dump it right on New Yorkers. And with that, let me, let me segue that this idea of normalization, that we, we, we see the surveillance state being installed and we go, oh, well, I guess I have to carry my, my surveillance device from Google or my surveillance device from Apple everywhere I go and wave it and snap it and, and scan it wherever they tell me to because that's the only way I can function anymore. And then there was a, there was a press conference with New York State Governor Kathy Hochul. For those of you outside of the U.S., you may not know, there's New York City, which is a city, and then New York City is a city in the state of New York, and our governor of the state, a woman named Kathy Hochul, had a press conference at one of the, uh, one of the uh, MTA facilities out in, I believe is in Corona, Queens, and she was talking very proudly about this. She's happy to announce that uh, she is going to do something about this, this issue of crime on the subways. And I'm going to play for you just about a minute of this press conference where she talks about how, how proud she is that surveillance is going to save us all. Here's uh, from September 20th, New York State Governor Kathy Hochul. So what we're going to be announcing is that we're having two cameras, two security cameras that will cover the width of the train installed in each one of the 6,455 subway trains. Now, I'm optimistic, and I believe that these will also be a deterrent to people. Uh, you're going to be caught if you conduct any activity, whether it's an aggressive act or whether it's a violent crime. And so I think that's going to go a long way to helping easing people's uh, insecurities that they may have to know that everyone knows now that there'll be cameras on the trains. So parents will be feeling more secure about putting their kids on the trains to go to schools. Senior citizens will be less apprehensive about taking the train to their doctor appointments. And New Yorkers can just have a calm way to get on their way off to their jobs. And it's, it's not just about, as I mentioned, the peace of mind. It's also about solving the crimes, because they're going to get the actual visual experience. You're going to have a, a camera footage that's going to show any crime or activity that's committed on a subway train. And that'll allow law enforcement to search for and identify the people responsible. So you, if you think Big Brother's watching you on the subways, you're absolutely right. That is our intent, to get the message out that we are going to be having surveillance of activities on the subway trains, and that is going to give people great peace of mind. And if you're concerned about this, the best answer is don't commit any crimes on the subways. Then you won't have any problems. So this is all part of our overall recovery as we're going Okay, so she says, you think Big Brother is watching you? You're absolutely right. I don't know where to start with this, this little clip. And I could, do, I could probably do 60 minutes uh, of, of commentary just on this one clip, which I don't have. I, I have a, about 10-ish minutes left. And I'll just say that what the governor is suggesting here the plan is, and it, and it looks like it's, it's budgeted and it's going to happen, they're going to put two surveillance cameras into every train car on, uh, on the subway system. And, uh, okay, well, there's already surveillance cameras in the stations, and there's surveillance cameras, as we know, on the streets. Some of them run by Google, others going straight to the NYPD rather than being shared with the NYPD from Google. So the, the addition of a few more surveillance cameras on, uh, on the subway system is not in itself that big of, of an uh, announcement in, at, at first glance. However, 
she made the point that we're all going to feel less anxious and we're going to be safer immediately as soon as we put the cameras on. And I just want to say, I, I want to push back on this suggestion that if we have problems in our civil society, if we, if we have a problem with crime or, or, or misbehavior or whatever, then the, the solution to this is to add surveillance cameras. Um, that is a completely erroneous, uh, fallacious conclusion that the addition of cameras by itself is a solution. Let me echo something I asked Chris Robbins in that interview just now. When there were cities before the year 2022, have there ever been cities? I know that, that uh, Silicon Valley and the technocratic surveillance state wants, they want us to have amnesia. They don't want us to read history. Go back and listen to my interview with Aaron Sachs last week about the importance of history. They want us to live in the moment and not think about what happened before. Because if you think just five minutes before the introduction of this press release, you would inevitably have the question, what did we do before when we had a crime wave somewhere? And that's assuming that what's happening now counts as a crime wave. And Chris Robbins has done other reporting on Hellgate that suggests maybe it's not a crime wave. But anyway, let's, let's say that we do want to address crime on the subways or in a neighborhood or anywhere. What did we do before we had surveillance cameras? A network of, of surveillance sensors feeding into the largest companies in human history and other opaque agencies for... Uh, processing that, that we have no control over. What did we do before that? Are there other, other tactics that we might use to build a better society? The governor's saying no. In fact, she draws on Orwell's work, 1984, which, which was a book about the opposite, the exact opposite of what she's saying. What Orwell was writing in 1984 that featured this thing called Big Brother was or Orwell was screaming at the top of his lungs, don't build a surveillance state. And Hochul uses the, the phrase Big Brother for exactly the opposite conclusion. It's, it's, it's pathetic, really, that a, it, an elected official who's in charge of an entire state government apparatus would make such a, an, an easy and, and, and broad error to, to say that we are going to put in 6,000, actually this is two per car, 12,000 new surveillance cameras. That alone is going to make us safer because surveillance makes us safer. And she says, if you don't believe me, well, just think, Big Brother is watching. Oh, gosh, the stupidity. What do you do with it? And I don't want to pick on Kathy Hochul. I mean, she's just one part of a larger surveillance state. And go back and listen to my interview with Molly Osberg, where I, I ran a clip of New York City Mayor Eric Adams, another elected official, saying surveillance is great, not in those words, but he said more or less the same thing. So, and it's also not just gov government officials that are incompetent. Go and go to the playlist at WFMU.org. And you can see uh, a, a piece from Wall Street on Parade from September 21st with the headline, Morgan Stanley allows its clients' social security numbers to get auctioned on hard drives. The incompetence, friends, is not just in our elected officials. It's in some of the largest banks and other organizations in the country. Morgan, Morgan Stanley. So here's what Wall Street on Parade writes. I should tell you what happened. Morgan Stanley had a bunch of hard drives that they want to get rid of. It had all kinds of, well, eventually, you know, hard drives start getting old. You, you want to refresh them with, with new hardware. That in itself is fine. But <laughs> basic tip, friends. Take it from someone who's been in tech for a while. Uh, before, you, before you auction off a hard drive, with uh, social security numbers and other personal information. Um, pro tip, you wanna, you wanna delete that information first. You wanna wipe the drive. Well, Morgan Stanley skipped that step and just auctioned off the hard drives with millions, 15 million customers' personal information on the hard drives. 
And uh, it was bought by someone who didn't know that they were buying, you know, compromised hard drives. They just wanted some used hard drives. And they got it and they open it up and they see all the socials on it. And, and uh, someone called up Morgan Stanley and said, I think you left some data on these hard drives. And Morgan Stanley says, oh, 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 okay. Well, we'll just, we'll take a look at it. The incompetence is staggering. It, it's staggering. Wall Street on Parade says... Uh, being lectured on the competent handling of personal client information by someone buying hardware at an online auction site when you are a globally systemically important bank with $1.17 trillion in assets and more than a century of existence. Uh, incompetence, absolute incompetence. And then on the other side, we have full competence of a way, of a, of, of a sort, did you hear the story in this? I've been meaning to talk about this for, for a few weeks. This is um, from the New York Times. Kashmir Hill wrote a great piece on August 21st. The headline is, a dad took photos of his naked toddler for the doctor. Google flagged him as a criminal. If you haven't read this piece, you should. It's on the play linked on the playlist. What happened was, Somewhere in, where was this guy? He's on, somewhere on the West Coast. D d tech guy who works somewhere, whatever. D they, he wasn't, he was somewhat anonymous. Anyway, he's in his 40s. He and his wife have a toddler. Um, they, they, have a, they have a young son. And, it, and the young son had some medical issue with a certain body part. And they called up the pediatrician. The pediatrician said, um, don't bother bringing him in yet. Just send us a photo of the body part and... Um, and we'll take a look at it and we'll, we'll get back to you. And so following doctor's orders, this father takes a photo of his naked toddler. He's got to be naked in order to, you know, show the doctor what the doctor needs to see. And he uploads it to the pediatrician's portal or maybe emails that I don't know. And next thing he knows, his Gmail account is turned off. His Google Calendar is turned off. His access to Google Docs is turned off. His access to Google Sheets is turned off. His entire Google presence is turned off by Google. And then the police come calling. And they say, uh, we, have, uh, we have registered a complaint from Google about possible uh, child abuse material that is on your phone. So what had happened was, and this is a tip for anyone who uses a Google surveillance device, also known as Android, anytime you take a photo on that phone, whether you upload it or email it or not, Google is watching. And if the, the content of that photo makes an algorithm nervous over at Google, and I can't tell you what makes them nervous, and they won't tell you either, because they will never divulge anything about their algorithms, but I'll just say anything behind that black box known as Google, if that, if that black box does not like the photo you just took, your entire Google presence can be turned off, boom, like that. Well, anyway, the police do the investigation, and that, again, in itself, is fine. Uh, I'm glad that police are uh, acting on leads where there could be possible child, child abuse material. That's important to, uh, to, to take uh, action on right away. But they quickly found out the, this, is a, this is a father who was following doctor's orders to take a photo for the purposes of, of healing his son. The, the, pretty quickly, the police said, there's, there's nothing here. This is not a problem. No, there, there's no issue. And so the father says, thank you very much. And then he contacts Google and he says, listen, uh, there was a police investigation. There's nothing here. Here's the report. Uh, please turn back on my, my Google account. No response. He, he says again, hey, hey, I would like to get back onto Google as a side note. I can tell this, this poor father, there are many alternatives to all Google services. He doesn't have to use Google. He can, in fact, get off Google. But in, that comes later. Anyway, he's trying to get back onto Google, and Google won't do it. And finally, Google responds and says to, something to the effect of, well, we're aware of the police report, but we still are not comfortable with you using our services. The end. And so what we have is we have a democratically elected government and, 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 and services within civic society that include a police force that in this case was really trying to do its job. I totally support that. And they did their job well, and they, uh, they understood that uh, this was not an issue, and, and then they went away. And then we have this unelected, undemocratic, 
totally opaque system of governance called Google, which can do whatever it wants, and there's no appeal. And, and if you look at those two domains, okay, the democratically elected domain of our, of our governmental structure, and then the, the sphere of influence in all of our lives that, that companies like Google and the other big tech companies occupy, which one is growing stronger and which one is growing weaker? Let me ask you. The sphere that Google occupies is growing. The sphere of, of influence and power that Google now has, that has arrogated to itself due to its surveillance powers, surveillance and control is growing. And when we let systems like these subway cameras, like this Omni system, continue to grow without any guardrails, we are handing over our autonomy, our democracy, and our lives over to these companies that have no interest, no interest, in our well-being, not as individuals and not as a democratic society. That's my message for you this evening, friends. You're listening to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, you know exactly what to do. Avoid Amazon and Apple. Forget Facebook. And whatever you do, get off Google. Stay tuned for Dust on the Decks with Derek. Have a great week, everybody. On me, on me. You gotta watch out for the lurkers out there, you know? Got cash on me, credit card, got scans on me, got bands on me, tax man, got plans on me, started tracking me, face ID on me, white programmers, so they don't see it's me. Got fans on me, IG story, know where I be. All geotag, got brands on me, got ads on me, not asking me, but it's still on me. Got scams on me, look at me, I never get lonely. Know where I'm at, don't even phone me. When I'm home, I know they see, do it all voluntarily. Huh? On me, on me, everything on me, on me. A lot of these things are off key. Children in my yard, they get where they watch me. I step out the CCTV, clocks me. On the bubble, that Roby from the Helen Hartness Flanders collection. Helen Hartness Flanders was a folklorist based in Middlebury, Vermont, and she sang a version of The Gallows Tree for Helen Hartness Flanders. That was Alice Roby. Uh, I believe that that would be a version of the child ballad Hangman, but it has a totally different tune and completely different lyrics, but the idea is the same. A person is about to be hanged and they're asking their mother, father, brother, and sister to help them and pay their fee, but they can't. Uh, and then along comes their sweetheart. 
and saves the day and pays their fee and they run away and get married. Coming up next, we've got a couple of cuts here from the Stoneman family on a compilation that was issued by Folkways. Uh, up first is Hattie Stoneman with Cumberland Gap. Friends and neighbors, here's a little number my father wrote when I was a little girl, and the title of it is Rose in Grandma's Garden. Go straight away and ask your mama. Fade away in 
gentlemen's ladies, it's a little old number called Frankie Was a Good Girl. Frankie was a good girl and everybody knows Paid for hundred dollars for every suit of clothes Just because she loved him so Oh, he 